0: This is the BBC.
1: Hello, I'm Tom Heap, and thanks for downloading Costing the Earth, the podcast that travels the world in search of fresh ideas to improve the environment. I hope you enjoy this week's show. If there's one environmental issue that touches our lives more immediately and personally than any other, it's probably what happens to waste and recycling in our homes and in our kitchens. And this is the sound of my kitchen. We've got the washing machine going on in the background, tap dripping. And for my recycling, it's quite simple where I am, in a sense, I put all my recycling in one bin, this one here, and all my non-recycling in another. But what we want to answer today is what happens to recycling, how that varies, why recycling rates are going down, and is it partly because of confusion and doubt over really whether it's worth doing it. And in order to do this, we're gonna go on a little tour, we're gonna to go on a little road trip. But first of all, I'm gonna take my rubbish out to the garage and sort it out a bit. So I've taken this bag from the kitchen, in it goes into the wheeler bin. Normally, this would be where I would say goodbye and leave it up for the bin men and the council, but today. I'm wheeling it to my garage, we're going to spread it out on the floor, and I get an expert to tell me all about it, who's then going to come with me on a journey to find out what happens to our recycling. There it all is, emptied out on the floor of my garage in front of Carl Williams, who's a waste expert, waste and recycling expert, who's now going to give me his full title. Carl.
2: Hi, Tom. Um, I'm the uh, Director for the Centre for Waste Management at the University of Central Lancashire.
1: It's so great to have you here, Carl, to kind of clear the fog surrounding so much recycling and also address this problem that we have seen household recycling rates stall. They're around 44%. They were going up consistently. They're now not... And so we're recycling about half a tonne per household per year. But in theory, it could be so much more than that. And then on top of that, you've got the kind of confusion over what's recyclable or not. And I'm hoping you will come on a bit of a journey with me, Carl, where we can answer some of these questions.
2: I'm feeling up to that (laughs) task. And I think you're going to go on this journey and realise some of the stuff that you think you're doing to help the environment is not necessarily helping the whole process.
1: Right, I'm doing the wrong thing
2: (laughs) you're saying in the nicest
1: possible way. Well, we want to get on the road, but let's just have a little sort through some of this stuff. I've got a few containers here. Let's start with the basics. We've got cardboard here, I guess that's all fine,
2: that can be recycled, yeah? Yeah, so cardboard and paper normally go together. The other stream is the plastic stream, which in your case is just plastic bottles. The other one would be the glass bottles. There's quite a bit of plastic film here, because you've thrown your magazines in. Plastic film is one of the harder things to recycle at the materials recycling facility. Right, Tom, let's get the lid down on this. There we go. It's very heavy.
1: I'm grab the other end of that one. So we've got our paper and cardboard in one, plastic, glass and metal in the other. So here we are loading into my car, which is newly emblazoned. And I have finally found a journalistic use for my surname. When you're blessed with the name Heap, people always want to talk about rubbish heap or other kind of heaps that are even worse. So on the side of my car, we have finally put this to good use. We have rubbish heap on tour. Hoping the uh, smell of this rubbish is going to stay sealed in these metal trunks.
2: I think we're hoping that as well. (laughs) Stop. Well, what you said earlier is you wanted to know what happened when you closed the lid. Let's go to a materials recycling facility where we see how they sort your co mingled waste out. And that is nearest, one for us is Birmingham, is that right? That's right, Yeah.
1: So, Carl, what are the headline destinations for recycling?
2: The headline destination for recycling is to be recycled into uh, new material, to end up at an energy from waste plant, so recovering the energy content, or, which is the least environmentally friendly, is to end up in a landfill. So I guess this is it. Is it? Cool, Yes. guess. You can see um, bales of plastic and metal glass ready to be shipped off to be recycled.
0: Hello. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Are you Stuart? I'm Stuart. I'm oh, Tom, nice to see you. Hey Tom. Carl, nice How to you see
1: Carl. you. So, we've come to this Suez plant in the centre of Birmingham, and I'm with Stuart Byrne who runs this place. Stuart, I'm going to open my boot, and we've got a couple of metal containers in here. This is the glass and plastic. Yep. And the other one's got the card and paper in this one. Is it alright for us to take these in and kind of do the first stage of the sorting, Not what you take, what you wouldn't take, yep. and uh, where it all goes? Brilliant. That. Oh, we got it. He's taking himself. Okay. And Carl, you get a break today. Thank
0: you very much. <laughs> At this site, we've had as far as Aberdeen come to us with the waste. Wow. You must be doing something special here to get waste from that far away. You wouldn't have thought that waste would have travelled from Aberdeen, but you have. Wow. We've just come to a big yard in the warehouse
1: where I guess a lot of the rubbish comes into. I can see big piles in front of me and uh, big loaders
0: lifting it and pushing it around. And So when you look at what I've got in here, yeah. how does it look to you? I would say your cans and plastics in here looks very good from a basket value uh, approach and your cardboard, very good, apart from the Tetra packs which is your orange juice. I tried to hide that one down <laughs> there, <laughs> Sorry. you've seen it already. Sorry, <laughs> we cannot recycle the Tetra packs unfortunately, mm-hmm. but everything else that I can see here, we can. What's the problem with Tetra Pak? It's to do with the hard plastic on the top of the bottle and the silver lining inside of the carton itself. So both those things give you a problem.
1: And that is the noise of a massive bucket load of waste. When I say bucket, I mean the kind of bucket on the front of a digger, starting its journey on the conveyor belt through the site. So how many
0: tons do you get in here a day or a week? We roughly process around 7,000 tons a month, 84,000 tons for the year. Here's another load. There's a conveyor belt about a metre and a half
1: wide going through this room, and there's a couple of guys already doing some manual sorting either side. So, Stuart, are you all right if we empty this onto the conveyor belt? OK?
0: Yep.
1: OK, here we go. Yep. There's the Tetra Pack. That'll get picked out by somebody else, will it? That's correct. So, well, but I guess people do throw them on, so I'll throw them Absolutely,
0: enough. yep, yep. Carl picked me up for this. Toothbrush holder with hard plastic and cardboard. Now, that again, because it contains the plastic with the, with the card, that would end up in our residue. So, again, that would be a, a, a bit of item that we wouldn't target. They're so not strictly recyclable? No. And so, what happens to the residue here? So, the residue here, you send it off to uh, an EFW to get burned. Energy from waste. Energy, Energy from, from waste. waste, yes. Loud machines. Well, this is our last port of call. This is the, the what we call the baling area. So underneath the the picking cabin where we've just been, the material's been hand-picked off, dropped into a bunker. The baler operator now is opening a bunker and starting to bale off the material that's in there. Uh, sort of adapted forklift in front of me here is lifting a bale of, what's that there? Well, that looks like it's a bale of paper. What he's doing is he's getting it ready to be picked clean of the last sort of check to make sure that the bale is clean of any contaminants. I can see there's a bale of cans in front of us there as well. Yeah, that's a bale of aluminium. So, Stuart, we've been through your
1: amazing plant, incredibly incredible sort of Heath Robinson in the nicest possible way in that you've got lots of different techniques going on there. What are the different waste streams that come
0: out? Exiting the facility, we have paper in two different streams, a UK reprocessing grade and an export grade. We have ferrous, so your tins of beans, tins of tomatoes. We have the uh, aluminium. We have glass that will leave site here and cardboard. Well, they're now raw materials, aren't they? They're that's not correct. really waste anymore. That's the magic of what's happened here. That's correct, yeah. They can then go on to have another life, then. What's the price of steel and aluminium like at the moment? The price of steel at the moment is around £125 is that good? for a tonne. That's probably medium of where it's been in the market. Uh, aluminium's quite high at the moment, circa around £1,050 for a bale of aluminium. And it's important for us to be able to separate those things. What about plastic at the moment? So your milk bottles, your HDPE, they're around £450 per tonne. Your PET, effectively your coke bottles, that's around £330 a tonne. They're both more than steel. That's correct. That really surprises me. We get a fairly good price here because of the cleanliness of the the material that's exiting the site. If it was more contaminated, that would obviously affect the price of of it leaving here.
1: That really makes a difference. Contamination is price, in effect.
0: Effectively, yeah.
1: That's correct. really impressed by what I saw there Carl. Oh, no, I suppose what surprised me was the num- firstly the number of different stages that have to go in but do go in
2: to making our recycling recyclable. <laughs> but if you think about it Tom, think about all the things you put into your recycling bin that we looked at this morning in your garage they all have to be separated out so you need those stages because each stage it's specific for a certain type of materials. Well
1: perhaps it's time to open the carbon can of worms. I mean, when it comes to the waste, the energy that it takes to do the various stages using fuel so in terms of climate change.
2: In terms of the carbon saving from recycling and, and doing the mechanical processing and everything it very much depends on the material. So aluminium you're saving 60-70% of the energy to make a can from digging out the bauxite out of the ground. The added carbon from the collection and any sorting is negated by the amount of carbon that you're saving from making it from bauxite. When you start to get to other materials then the more mechanical processes you put in then you're also using up your carbon tank as it were. What about glass? People often ask about that. So if glass is used as cullet material so it goes back into making bottles then that's a very positive carbon okay. use because of the energy that it takes to actually melt the soda and the sand and everything to make glass in the, pr- in the first place. If it just goes into aggregate, which is used in, in road construction and other construction, then that's not a very carbon positive route for the, the glass. Mm. And what about the carbon calculation with plastic? With the plastic, again, it depends on where the plastic goes, but normally plastic is a lot more positive as well because it costs a lot of carbon to get the oil out the ground, take it to an oil refinery, refine it, process it, turning it into a polymer, making it into a plastic. So on most counts, then the carbon benefit of recycling is outweighed by any energy that's involved in it. Your
3: route guidance is now complete.
2: Things like glass, steel,
1: aluminium, paper, cardboard are, are relatively easy to recycle, I'm gathering Carl. Where we've got the real problem is around plastics. It comes in so many forms. Even in an individual plastic bottle, and apparently as UK households, we throw out around 500 of those on average every year. They have different types of plastic in the cap. Some of them, like those hand sprays you get, might have metal in them as well. They might have film plastic around the outside. So there are some dedicated plastic recyclers around, and we're coming up to one of those at Rochester in Kent. And I'm wondering if plastics we've got left in my boot can be made into something new and useful. i going to wave goodbye to some uh, milk cartons, another plastic bottle, cheeky ice cream there. This is going off to a plant which is run by Viridor, and Jez Blake here is in charge of a few of the plants around here. Jez, what's going to happen to this plastic? No, I put it
3: on this conveyor belt and it's disappeared. So what's going to happen now is going to go through a number of different bits of equipment, with the aim of sorting it by polymer and colour into individual streams, ready for onward use in the manufacturing industry. And how would you sum up what you do here? So at every stage of the process, what we're doing is just removing the variation. We're just taking out the unwanted materials at each stage and turning it into a more and more specific material, ready to go back into new resources. So if we're going through the end of this
1: process, there should be kind of more pure bales of of raw material.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Purity is what we're after. Quality is the key. we come to a
1: yard at the other side of the facility here, and uh, Jez, I'm looking at some bales, and piles of plastic here, but you can tell me much more accurately what I'm looking at.
3: Moving on from one side of the yard, we've got the PET natural, which is the clear fizzy drink bottles, and then moving round, we've got the pot stubs and trays, which is made principally polypropylene, high-impact polystyrene, high-density polyethylene, which is where the milk bottles come in, and basically every grade of plastic that comes in your consumer waste, all separated by colour and polymer.
1: And where is this stuff going now?
3: Most of it goes on for further treatment at our own facilities within the UK. When uh, you say
1: further treatment, what happens to it?
3: So at the next stage in the process is we'll, we'll refine it even further, so we'll take away that variation even more, and it will be granulated, it will be washed, it will be sorted on a flake level, to get it to a point where actually it's ready, it's an end-of-waste product ready for manufacture again. Right.
1: What about where it's going geographically, in, in the world or in the country?
3: So geographically this material here, a large proportion of it is going to our facility in Lancashire, but even outside of the company we deal with a range of facilities ac- across the country. Plus it goes to near Europe.
2: And
1: talk me through a little bit over the last few years this kind of international market for for recycled plastic, you know, the ups and downs of that (laughs) over that time.
3: I mean, the market has been very dynamic over the past couple of years. I think that's a polite way of saying it. Bit of a <laughs> Yeah, going back sort of five or six years, dominantly, most of the materials were exported to the Far East, to the sort of Chinese and Indian markets. But as a company, we've invested heavily to try and get things through to an individual stream so that we can process it in near Europe. You said five or six years ago, plus most of it used to go to Asia. What happened? The market in those Far East countries, they basically looked at the quality of the material they were receiving and they didn't want to take in the vast majority of other people's waste, I mean, combined with the fact that the Chinese economy, using them as examples, booming and they produce enough of their own materials to recycle. So it's been a very changing landscape as countries catch up on the sophistication of the UK and New Europe and
1: you do still or the company still does export to the Far East what kind of checks do you make out there how diligent are you to make sure it does actually get
3: recycled not just thrown in the hole in the ground it's all resources we're interested in so any material that gets exported we actually have boots on the ground in those countries, ensuring that those facilities are what we'd class as UK equivalent.
1: I think this is a really important point for people, because a lot of people perhaps cynically assume that when it goes overseas, oh, we don't know what happens to it, you know, it's probably not recycled, so I won't bother putting it in the recycling. You're saying, as far as you're concerned, you can guarantee when it leaves these shores it pretty much is going to be recycled. Absolutely. Someone, ironically, we've also invited down here, in fact, next to a massive bale of recycled plastic... There's a lady who's trying to live her life without plastic at all. Cloudy Williams, welcome. Tell me about what you've been trying to do for the last year or so.
4: We are simply trying to live without plastic as much as it's possible. So that means not buying any single-use packaging plastic. Why did you do it? I woke up to the fact that there's just plastic everywhere in my life and every time we went shopping we came back, unpacked it, and had bags full of packaging and it seemed like it was getting worse over the years. There was a lot
1: of it, but why did you object to it so much?
4: Well, because really I was collecting it all for recycling and putting it out dutifully into the, the recycling bins, and, but I found it almost impossible to know whether I'm putting the right things in, you know, all these mixed materials, can you put them in? And what happens to them afterwards? That was a big question mark for me, and I couldn't really find out what happens to the recycling afterwards.
1: One of the motives for doing it, you said, was not knowing what happens to the plastic after it's been thrown away. You come to a place like this and you can see the plastic is going on to a second life. Does that reassure you at all? Does that make you think, oh, maybe I will buy a bit of plastic and throw it away as long as I know it's going somewhere like this?
4: It doesn't really because there's so much more to the story. Yes, this is a fantastic recycling facility and I'm really impressed with it. But when I look at the reports and data and statistics, what we find is that we produce so much plastic and it's, it's, you know, it's set to double in the next 20 years and all those overwhelming figures. And I don't think recycling is the answer because recycling is only a tiny fraction of what happens to all of that plastic.
1: Carl Williams, the waste expert from the University of Central Lancashire, is with us here still. Carl, what would you like to put to
2: Cloudy? I think you've makes some very valid points and one of the best things about trying to manage waste is waste prevention, so preventing it in the first place by not creating it. I think plastic does get a bad press because it's really a success story in terms of packaging, in terms of the whole life of a product because it has made the transportation of goods much more efficient. It, has, it preserves things in terms of food waste. It also preserves things in terms of packaging and protection. So it does more than just something for you to throw away in your bin. One
1: of the main reasons why we struggle to say definitively what is recyclable, what should you do, all these kind of things, is because it
2: varies so much from place to place around the country. Why? The reason why it varies from place to place around the country is historical because each local authority had to have at least three materials that they would collect from the curbside for recycling and they were given the choice to pick whichever three they wanted. It would have been better, in my personal opinion, it would have been better if there was more direction from central government. And you also see that in how your waste is collected. So, some people have, as you have, a, a, a wheelie bin of a different colour, and different local authorities collect in different ways. So, it's not only what materials are collected, it's also how people collect and how people present their recyclables to be collected. Turn right soon. We're now at the uh, SELCHP, the Southeast London Combined Heat and Power. So, they produce not only energy here, but also heat as well. Which is- We haven't done too badly with the recyclables,
1: but we've still got a few in the back which we haven't managed to uh, get recycled. And then, of course, there's my black bean coal that we didn't even touch. Now, all that uh, still needs to be got rid of, and I gather coal, that's what the the industry calls residuals and usually gets put into landfill or goes to an incinerator or an energy-from-waste plant. Now, because of landfill taxes, amongst other things, these energy-from-waste plants are becoming more popular. Having said that... And always welcomed by local populations who are worried about emissions, carbon dioxide, dioxins, particulates, and I gather even PCBs. But uh, anyway, we're just coming up to the gate now. Morning. Hello, I'm here to see Richard Kirkman. Yes,
3: yes. if you've got the park up over there. Just over here. Across to the, back into my we'll do the induction and uh, get you all sorted out from there. Thank
4: you so much. Okay.
1: I'm standing on the tipping floor of this energy from waste site looking at a massive truck that's come in from local homes and businesses bringing in waste that's ending up going into the hopper here that will be burnt to make energy, electricity and heat. We've stepped into the control room of Veolia's energy from waste plant here and with me is Richard Kirkman. who uh, Do you run this plant or are you going to run more than this? Yeah, I'm responsible for the
5: technology we develop and innovation in the business. Okay, give me a a quick guided tour of what I can see around me here. So we're bringing in uh, materials here after we've done the reusing, after we've done the composting, after the recycling. This is the bit that's left, Mm -hmm. the bit that we can use as a fuel rather than landfilling it. Comes up the ramp, goes into this storage repository. and we're sucking all the air out of here as well because to combust things and get energy, you need air and you need fuel. So we suck the air out so there's no odours leaving the building, put the fuel in, and then just like a conventional power station, instead of using coal, we're using waste to make steam. And that steam goes through a steam turbine and we produce electricity.
1: Can I take a closer look at this, this big window where you've got the giant grabs like the old fairground game of trying to get uh, trying to get a prize from the bottom. But what I'm basically seeing there is a lot of that black bag waste that the, the people of uh, London have, have put in their non-recycling bin.
5: That's right, in a very simplistic way there's two bins. There's the recycling bin and the non-recycling bin. So these are the bins where people have thrown away their mixed refuse. How good of fuel is it? About three tonnes of that is equivalent to a tonne of coal. So every time we burn three tonnes of that we're displacing a tonne of coal. So it's a lower calorific value, about 10 megajoules and we're producing about 35 megawatts here, so that's enough for about 35,000 houses.
1: Uh, Just looking out of the window here, I can see some things which clearly could have been recycled. I can see newspaper there and some cardboard boxes, I think one or two plastic bottles. Uh, Do you get quite a lot of that in that could have have had another life?
5: So some people don't put the recyclables in the recycling bin. Um, We do have a facility down the road where we try to cater for that and we try to claw back some of the bottles, tin cans, uh, and the paper that's, that's left in the residual waste but you know this is, it's a bit like giving someone a cake and saying get the sugar out of that cake you know it's already been mixed so it's very difficult for us to recycle it and we're all about pushing things up the train trying to recycle them there's a huge economic incentive to do that it's cheaper and more cost effective but for the bit that's not recyclable we want to produce energy which is the next best thing.
1: I mean, as you know, energy from waste or incineration, as it used to be known, doesn't have the, the best of reputations. I mean, people think it's better than landfill, but it's still a lot of people are still slightly against it. I
5: mean, are you proud of what goes on here? I think we're really proud of what we do. We take all the wastes in that are produced in society, separate them out for the best use we can think of. And you know, we're hugely incentivised by our clients and economically to do that, and it's an environmental benefit.
1: And actually, this site is quite interesting, because there was a lot of opposition prior to it being built. Now...
5: Our experience is once you've built it and you're operational, you don't have any problems. We normally have a local liaison committee and it peters out over a few years. When you're trying to build it in the first place, people are extremely concerned and that's the same for any type of facility. A recycling centre, they, 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 they could be upset about that and it's our job to make them more comfortable with it.
2: And it does help people to appreciate what actually happens to their waste and what happens to their recyclable material.
1: Yeah, we've got this phrase that people in the past treated their waste as kind of fling and forget. and and still some uh, newspaper editors seem to think that's the way that our waste should be treated. But that's just absurd, isn't
2: it? Yes, I think it's quite important to take ownership of your waste and realise that it is a resource. What you do in your household has a big impact on how well it's recycled or whether it ends up here at this facility or ends up in a landfill, which is the worst case scenario.
1: One of the big criticisms of energy from waste was that it was going to undermine recycling. Does what I'm looking at here undermine recycling?
5: We have commitments with all of our clients to push the recycling rates up and do more of it. We're still landfilling 10 million tonnes in the UK. We're exporting 3 million tonnes. There's a huge amount of volume that isn't going anywhere. We don't have the infrastructure for it, so it's not eating into recycling. It's a, it's a common myth. It's what people say. Working in the industry, I don't see that happening. We produce 30 million tonnes in the UK of municipal waste every year. We've gone up from around 5% recycling, which was frankly pathetic. Up to nearly 50% of recycling, reuse, composting. Then we're doing some energy recovery but we're still landfilling some and you know we really need to build the rest of the facilities that we need in the UK to use that heat and electricity. We've done our last stop. You know what, I'm a little bit less
1: cynical than I was when I started. I think this whole process has made me realise that, yeah most stuff that says it gets recycled probably does and that's a reasonable place to start isn't it?
2: (laughs) It is and also we've shown that your plastic bottle that we picked out in your garage can be turned back into another plastic bottle and therefore close the loop on recycling. And if
1: it has to do that here or has to do that overseas or or whatever in in a sense doesn't really matter as long as it's going to make something new.
2: It's about keeping the the value of that material and using it as a resource and not thinking that you're throwing a waste away.
1: But we still do only recycle less than half and we've seen this dip
2: recently, in England at least, better in in Wales.
1: How important do you think it is to get this right and really improve our recycling?
2: I think it's very, very important because we have limited resources on the planet and therefore we need to maximise them as best we can before we start to take new materials out of the ground. My thanks to Carl
1: Williams for riding shotgun on our rubbish heap road trip. And he's devised his own top ten recycling tips, which you can find on the Costing the Earth programme page, where also you can download a podcast of this and many other fine editions of the show. So what have I learnt? Well, recycling is worth it. Most does go on to be something different, have a second life if you like, and you can boost the chances of this happening by more cleaning and separating. And it does help reduce carbon dioxide emissions too, against making stuff with virgin raw materials. In short, much of my waste isn't actually rubbish, but potential new raw material. But the thing that really complicates and hinders recycling is the vastly different policies of local authorities who use over 300 different waste handling systems, making it effectively impossible for many labels to say whether the package is recyclable or not. The result confusion, contamination and wasted recycling.